Hello and welcome to another episode of the IoT for All podcast and another episode of our Ask IoT series, where we bring on the brightest minds in the IoT world to chat and answer your questions. I'm Ryan Chacon, the Editor-in-Chief of IoT for All, and on this episode, episode number seven, we have a very special guest. Renal Wadwat, the CTO of Occam, joins the show. Now, this is one of our longer episodes, so I don't want to waste too much time with an intro here, but I also, on the episode, am joined by Mark Bielas, who has co-hosted me on shows before. He is a systems engineer at Leverage and provides a ton of value in his questions. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Mrinal Wadwa. All right. So first off, um, we just want to thank you, obviously, Mrinal, for, for being on the show. And um, you know, how are things going on your end? Um, it's fantastic. Thank you guys for having me on the show. I'm really excited about the conversation. Yeah, it's uh, one of our first few episodes, so it'll be you know we're excited about just the whole, launching this whole podcast, and it's super exciting to have you as one of our first guests. Um, I think the best way to kind of start these episodes is to give our audience a little bit of background as to kind of how you ended up here, not necessarily on the podcast, but how you ended up in the IoT space. You know, talk a little bit about your background, um, and if you could speak to that real quickly, that I think give us a lot of context to kind of dive into, you know, our follow-up questions. Um, yeah, sure. Um, so um, I have a computer science engineering background. Um, I've basically spent my entire career uh, dealing in distributed systems and sort of large-scale data-related problems. Um, in fact, my very first job out of college uh, was at EMC, um, the big data storage company. And we were dealing with like data high availability across geography. So that sort of set the path. Um, and then since then, um, I've, I've stayed within the distributed systems, big data space um, over the years. Um, did a small stint at SAP for a while. Um, I started a few consulting uh, businesses over the years. I spent a lot of time doing consulting around um, Hadoop when, when that ecosystem was taking off um, several years ago now. And, and then um, about five years ago, I got deeply involved with, um, with IoT systems as I joined as CTO of Fiber. Um, and then uh, a few months ago, about six months ago now, um, I joined the team at Occam um, as one of the co-founders and also CTO. So that's sort of been my journey. Okay, so you're one of the, the founders of Occam. Yes. Okay, so let's um let's talk a little bit about Fiber because that's the um, you know we have a, through our research at least we came up with um, a decent amount of stuff that you guys are working on there, which it seems as if led you to kind of come up with the idea um, behind Occam. So, what exactly was Fiber, and what sort of deployments did you work on? Because from our research, we kind of pulled up the information on San Francisco's SF Park deployment, which um, around the the in-parking or in-ground parking sensors. So can you just tell us a little bit about what you guys did there and kind of what that deployment was all about? Um, yeah, sure. So Fiber's, um, you know, almost 20 years old um, as a company, and they, uh, they, they were sort of very, very early on in the parking sensor space. Uh, like back in the day, you know, the very first sensor they built was actually like a loop-based magnetometer, essentially a big wire that ran through your entire parking space. This was back in 98. Um, and so since then, the companies um, had been a leader in the parking sensor space. Um, and then in around 2011, um, city of San Francisco, um, through a federal grant, was trying out lots of sort of cutting-edge parking management technologies. 
And one of the things they wanted to try out was parking sensors. Um, and by this time, of course, the form factor of sensors had become fairly small. And these were kind of like hockey puck size uh, sensors that went in the ground in an on-street parking space. And we ended up deploying, um, and I say V as in V fiber before me, actually, uh, in 2011, uh, deployed um, um, about eight and a half thousand of them um, all over San Francisco city. Um, and the goal of the project was to understand if large-scale deployment of sensors in cities can, can work. This was sort of one of the first of its scale deployments of sensors by any city in the world, I think. Um, anyways, um, I got involved with Fiber uh, around the 2014 timeframe. So by this time, that deployment in San Francisco had run for a few years, um, and there was a massive amount of data that had been collected over that. Uh, period, and there was also um, a lot of experience gained from operating sensors um, in, in such an environment. And um, my role as I joined the CTO of Fiber was to basically help Fiber transform from being a parking sensor business into being a IoT platform uh, specializing in smart cities, um, and so. So that's 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 how I was involved at Fiber. And so your experience developing the SF Park solution, uh, you were saying that this was kind of a large scale uh, experiment to see if deploying sensors across the city could work. And so, mm -hmm. what were what were your conclusions, and how did that lead to the broadening of uh, Fiber's approach to be more so IoT for smart cities instead of just parking sensors? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So, um, you know, uh, all sorts of sort of weird things happen when you deploy sensors in a city. Uh, so, for example, uh, uh, you see, our sensors were uh, our parking sensors were magnetometer based, and um, you know, um, you, you, in in city streets, you have all sorts of magnetic in interference. So, for example, San Francisco has. Um, uh, trams or trains that go from the middle of the street. And so every time a train would pass, what you'd see in the sensors is that every sensor on the street kind of uh, says, I saw a car arrive every, you know, in sequence almost. Um, you know, so that, that kind of interference can be a problem. Uh, a lot of streets had um, electric wiring underneath them. And so they would cause, cause all sorts of surges um, um, these were the technical challenges. There were a lot of sort of practical challenges, you know, installing things on streets uh, uh, can take lots of sort of complicated city approval processes, et cetera. So there's a lot of learnings from that as well. Um, and um, essentially, by the time I joined uh, Fiber, what we had learned was um, really low power sensors operating um, in a city environment need a lot of maintenance and, and a lot of careful design uh, to scale. And so uh, our goal was to make that system um, as robust as possible, uh, not just for parking, but also other use cases. So we ended up developing a little uh, a module we call the Fiber Link, uh, which became the core of all the sensors we deployed across uh, various cities from there on. And um, um, you know, became sort of the foundation on which we built our entire um, uh, IoT platform, our fiber. 
and actually, since I'm since I'm talking about all sorts of weird things that happen in cities, another interesting thing that happened is we deployed in uh, uh, downtown Washington D.C. in I think the 2015 timeframe, and uh, uh, our radio network didn't work, right? And we would have like like massive drops um, in our in our radio deployment, um, and and turned out that you know we were very close to the Verizon Center, which had these big um, LTE towers, and they was they were calling causing radio interference. Um, and then uh, we were we, we also had the um, the FBI building in the middle of the deployment, and I don't know, but anyways, there were there were there were certain radio frequencies that we had to tweet tune out tune out and and, and get better at managing the the wireless network as well. So unexpected things every city. And do you still see that uh, find that to be the case uh, where there's these somewhat packaged solutions? It's still, uh, I mean, I don't want to call it a fairly young industry because it's been around for a while, but the specific solutions are kind of young. And when you're working with a the government, they, for the most part, want things to work out of the box. So what was your kind of perspective or uh, or approach in selling these solutions to governments and having them understand that to some degree they are untested and there will be uh, obstacles along the way. Yeah, uh, that's a, that's a great line of sort of question, right? So um, uh, you're right. Sort of early on, it was okay. Like it was, it was ex five, six years ago. It was it was okay uh, to do experimentation. Even like three years ago, the the, the city uh, stakeholders were very keen on uh, con on experimentation. Um, and, and there were a lot of, you know, labs that's, uh, that started coming up in different various cities. Uh, we at fiber were heavily involved in the San Mateo lab and a few other city experiments. Washington DC was similar. Uh, Montreal was another experiment we were involved in. And, um, so the appetite for experimentation was, was there, um, uh, you know, a few years ago, but more recently, what I've noticed is like the, the city stakeholders have, um, have uh, you know kind of had their share of, of experiments and they they do want to take it to fruition and actually get all the benefits that uh, that some of these systems promise um, except I think we as the IOT industry um, haven't really matured as fast as uh, uh, the market expects us to have matured right like all the security problems we're dealing with over the last few years um all the even at the interoperability layer there are a lot of challenges right um you know if if a city is trying to integrate uh devices from five or six different vendors it, it turns into this massive integration project and the complexities there are um, are also really hard for cities to deal with um so i feel i feel like we um as vendors of iot uh, need to solve certain fundamental problems that we haven't done a good job solving currently. Yeah, that makes sense. So far. Um, it, it sounds like from at least my understanding of, of what you guys are doing at Occam now that this, um, you know, these projects and, and experiences you had at, at Fiber really kind of lended itself well to why Occam exists. Is that kind of accurate there? Yes, that's very accurate. Um, so, you know, it's just, it, I guess we're all, we all learn from our experiences, right? And then figure out new things based on that. So that's kind of what happened to me. Um, at Fiber, uh, when, I, when I started designing that system, uh, you know, several years ago, 
I was very aware of um, issues of uh, security and trust in the data that we get from the city street, right? So if a, if a device on the street tells me that uh, some event has happened, can I truly trust it? What's, you know, what's my basis of trusting that data? Um, and the reality of a lot of the IoT market today is that we, we, we kind of put trust in these devices somewhat blindly. Um, so devices, most devices don't sign or encrypt their data. Um, most devices, um, you know, have, have no mechanism in the protocol that guarantees that the data itself um, was what the data, uh, what the device originally sent, right? And um, so I was very aware of that problem back at when we were when we were designing the system at Fiber. And the way we dealt with that problem was that um, we ended up controlling the entire uh, process with which devices were built and maintained and deployed. Uh, so, so we had tools that we gave our manufacturers uh, to install unique cryptographic keys in all of the devices so the devices can produce signed data. Um, uh, we had uh, tooling around how the devices were provisioned in the field and how to do that really quickly and fast and still have guarantees of security, et cetera. Um, and, and, and so, so our approach at Fiber was to tightly control the entire stack vertically. Uh, we built the devices, we built the low power wireless network, we built the server side, and then we controlled the process of how the devices were operated. And the reason we had to do that is that a lot, in, a, in a lot of cases, these devices were being installed in like mission critical systems for the cities. So for example, in one city, we were installed as part of their, their trigger for emergency response if there's, there's flooding happening in parts of the city, right? So that's a mission critical system. And it, it, it should not uh, be something that someone can easily manipulate. Um, and in those scenarios, you want to make sure you want to have guarantees of trust in the data itself. And so to do that, we vertically control the entire stack. However, what I realized is that that's not, that's not a very scalable approach as an industry, right? Um, as an industry, we need to layer our solutions and we need to enable lots of parties to build these trustworthy solutions together. And we, may, we need to make things easy to integrate. Well, the problem that happens in that scenario is that um, if, if I'm the builder of a cloud IoT platform, right, software-only IoT platform, which is typical of most IoT platforms, um, I cannot know for sure that every device has a unique cryptographic key in it. I cannot know for sure whether the, the keys are stored in cryptographically safe hardware or not, right? And so since I can't be sure of that, um, I am unable to guarantee an SLA to my customer. So if I'm a system integrator, for example, that's piecemeal the solution from, let's say, vendor one giving me the devices, vendor two giving me the network, vendor three giving me the server-side IoT platform, then how do I go to my customer and say, hey, you know, this is a highly secure system when I have no ability to track uh, the life um, and, the, and the cryptographic safety and the various sort of procedures that are going to making a device safe, how do I do that? So currently that, yeah. that core of trust doesn't exist. And that's what we're right, trying to do. You wouldn't want to do that either for, you wouldn't want to do that either as, you know, presenting a solution to a client that's pieced together by 
a, you know, a number of um, manufacturers, you being the one on the hook for anything that happens. So it doesn't seem like exactly right. And that's, yeah, that's the reason projects stall. Projects stall because at the end of the day, uh, someone has to take ownership in SLAs of that project. And currently that's, that's very hard to do. Well, and the, you know, wherever you're deploying the solution that the client, or if it's a city or if it's an individual um, organization, they need that. I and mean, they're not going to install anything without somebody in kind of ensuring um, the system. And if nobody's going to take responsibility for the system, I can see how it, that really affects, affects anything getting started. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, so yeah, um, you have anything, Mark? Well, I guess I'm more so curious uh, if you want to go through Occam, how it exists and how it's solving uh, the problem that you just laid out. Um, right. So, so um, uh, my co-founder, uh, Matt uh, Gregory um, at Occam, um, he comes from a you know, cloud systems background. And he was, he was with Microsoft Azure team before, before Occam and then Heroku before that. And, and, and he tells, um, you know, he, t- he tells the story really well and I'll, I'll attempt at, you know, doing the same. Essentially he thinks that the, um, the IOT world is like the cloud, like the cloud world, but 10 years removed, right? So we're 10 years behind the cloud. And so 10 years ago in the cloud, you had these um, all or nothing approaches and you had, you know, people who were uh, like, you know, modern cloud companies. So, you know, your Airbnbs of the world that were trying to build their, or Netflix, they were trying to build their entire business in the cloud. Um, or you had traditional banks that were completely staying away from the cloud. And, and they were at these extremes. And, and the reason uh, the reason that happened is that you kind of had to make this sort of all or nothing approach. You either trusted the cloud or you didn't trust the cloud and you, you just did everything inside your data center. And he's, and, and, and he, he presents it and said, basically, look, we need, what happened over the last 10 years is that a lot of open source tools enable, uh, tools emerged that enabled developers to build really, really powerful stacks in the cloud. Uh, with simple tooling, and so you know, most most developers today or cloud native developers today, um, their stacks are made up of 60 different technologies that they pull from open source GitHub repos and stack together and build their own system. And and the reason um, the reason that's really hard to do in the IoT world is because you can't get that guarantee of trust and reliability if you try and piecemeal a solution today, right? And so what we're trying to do at Occam is build that core of identity and trust that enables uh, someone to then go pull in uh, open source tools from the world, right? Um, so, so going back to that earlier problem of, well, um, how do, uh, who, who owns responsibility in the system? The reason the, the, the solution provider is unable to hold responsibility in the system is because they don't know if a device has a unique cryptographic key or not, right? So how do we build a system where multiple parties can collaborate and still know about the life of a device and still talk about, talk about a device with one unique identity 
one shared identity that's shared across those systems and is in siloed across five or different vendor uh, only systems. Um, so essentially what we're building at Occam is basically uh, three layers. We're building a layer to enable um, secure identity um, and key management for devices uh, with an open source tool chain. And we're building a layer to enable uh, reasoning about trust in a device. And then we're finally enabling some tools that enable that make it easy to do interoperability be between devices. So that's sort of what we're building. Um, it's and, and like I said, it's all um, it's all happening in in open source. That's awesome. Now to kind of uh, drive the point home, can you start off by just scaring me? Give me an example of the uh, the detriment of having a system without a solution uh, such as Occam. And then give me an example of what the world would look like with uh, with Occam at the core of IoT. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, um, so uh, there was a there was a I'll, I'll take two examples: a security example and an interoperability example. So, um, there was a, um, uh, a a hack that happened in city of Dallas a couple of years ago, I think, where somebody's one morning turned on all their tornado sirens, and they have 120 tornado sirens in in Dallas. And um, uh, on one morning, it was very very loud in the city. Um, and the reason they were able to do that is that there was zero um, cryptographic security in those radio messages. So anyone who was capable of crafting a radio message that looked like an on command for the sirens, um, could turn them on. And so someone did, and they just broadcasted a message and turned all the sirens on. And so it got really, really loud, triggered, I, I imagine triggered lots of emergency response type actions and chaos and et cetera. Um, so, um, if uh, cryptographic identity um, is managed correctly in systems, that should not be possible. Data that is instructions that are delivered to remote devices and data that is received from remote devices should, should be signed by both parties and should be trusted um, and provable and attributable to the source so that actions, you know, these kinds of attacks cannot happen. Currently, that is very hard to implement. If you want to implement that system yourself, you have to worry about how to store cryptographic keys um, in your devices. You have to worry about how to uh, generate and assign unique keys and identities to your devices. Um, and that's just a logistical challenge that a lot of vendors face. Um, and so we make it at Occam, make it very, very easy for you to deal with those logistical challenges with only a few lines of code. Um, so that's example number one. Example number two is around interoperability. So currently what happens is um, if, you're, if you're building a smart city with lots of devices, um, then you, you typically end up getting, uh, you know, your parking sensor network from vendor X and you get your smart street light network from vendor Y um, and maybe you get your uh, smart meters from some other some other vendor and what you end up with as a smart city solution integrator is that all of these things don't 
by default talk to each other. So you now have to invest in a six month long or a year long integration project that uh, that makes these things work with each other. Um, uh, and 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 that cost of integration currently is just way too high, and is also one of the reasons why a lot of projects stall because the overall uh, picture of uh, of these really smart systems is 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 we can't deliver on them because the the hurdle to integrate them is just too um, too high, right? And so one of the things Occam enables uh, using a bunch of open standards like uh, DID or decentralized identifiers um, and linked data is is re massively reduce this time to integration and and we hope in a, in some future state just um, uh, make a lot of lot of things work with each other even though the two developers never met each other. And can you give us some like early success stories experiments that you guys have run? Um, so. Um, well, we're really, really early. Uh, but like, for example, we were able to, uh, we worked with a vendor who, um, uh, who is building uh, uh, a Fitbit for animals, I guess, right? That's the best way to describe them um, for, for farm animals um, and cows specifically. And what they want to do is prove the uh, uh, provenance of the milk to or or the meat to the end buyer, uh, which um, they're not the builder of that entire system, right? They they're just building those devices, and farmers buy those devices from them because they get health alerts about uh, the cow's health. You know, so uh, when when should the cow um, uh, go through certain stages, or when should be milked, etc. And so uh, they're just building that system, but they would like to integrate into higher level systems that others are building, uh, you know, uh, big, large grocers are building around uh, tracking the history of these, um, uh, these food sources. For and me, what we're enabling for them is, I'm sorry, uh, I didn't hear that. For recalls and things like that, right? Exactly, right. Recalls, recalls a great use case. So if, 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 uh, if, um, if it's discovered that a particular batch of meat is, is, is infected by, by something, then how do you figure out and how you trace where that meat came from? Uh, they want to enable that and they want their, their business can become a higher value business if they can plug into that data, uh, that, that, that um, system, right? Uh, however, for them as a small company, that's a really complicated integration exercise to take on. So what we enable for them is that we've delivered these decentralized identifiers to their devices. Uh, this gives their devices uh, the ability to generate cryptographically signed data. Um, and they didn't have to write a lot of code to enable that. Uh, they got all the best practices around storing all of those keys in the right place. Uh, they got all the best practices around cryptography, around uh, protecting against replay attacks, et cetera. And, um, uh, and then their data ends up in Occam's blockchain. Uh, and then from there on, because we're using these open standards like DID um, and verifiable claims, this data now becomes pluggable into other blockchain-based systems uh, that are tracking uh, supply chains, et cetera. Great. Yeah. You there? 
Yeah, cool. Awesome. Um, so I think the best thing to do now is just transition into the, the Ask IoT questions. I know um, we've covered a lot of what you're doing at Occam, and it sounds you know super exciting. And I think some of these questions at the end will, will lead to a little bit more discussion around that. But um, we do have, I think, roughly four general questions and then two questions that Mark and I kind of came up with. So if it's fine with you, I think we're going to just run through these if, um, if that works. Yeah, sounds great. So the first question we have is, what makes a city better suited to adopt IoT solutions? Does it have to do with the landscape of the city, the funding the city has, the government and how it views maybe technology and infrastructure, or is there some other component to it that really makes a city better suited to adopt IoT solutions? Hmm. That's, I think that's a really interesting question. So I actually think it's, it's the benefits, right? So, um, it, city city IoT systems, if successful, if successfully implemented, have the opportunity to solve some really difficult challenges that our cities are dealing with. So there's an opportunity that exists to massively cut down traffic, for example, uh, which in turn cuts down pollution and you know stress and and other things. So. Um, for example, uh, going back to stuff we were doing at Fiber, uh, there, uh, there's, there was a study um, at, um, uh, by a professor called Donald Shoup, um, and he, he, he basically studied that um, and, and found that 30% of traffic in downtown um, in, in Manhattan is uh, during the lunch hour is people looking for parking spaces, right? And so... If, if you can reduce that 30% number by some, some significant chunk, um, you can uh, reduce congestion in Manhattan during that peak hour. You can reduce traffic, you can reduce, ship, you can reduce uh, both air and noise pollution, et cetera. So um, uh, I know from looking at a lot of live parking sensor data in city downtowns, um, and I know this at least for San Francisco, Montreal and Washington DC is that there was never, almost never a scenario where 100% parking spaces in downtown were taken. Uh, however, if you're a human looking for those spaces, you would feel like there are always no parking spaces in downtown Manhattan during the peak hour, right? And so um, that what, what IoT systems, IoT with you know advanced sort of artificial intelligence and interesting machine learning algorithms, what they, these systems together can enable are uh, what I think of as like autonomous systems, systems that sort of magically solves, solve problems around us by making lots of machines coordinate, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so if, if, if parking sensors and my phone routing algorithm can somehow coordinate, we can solve that traffic problem. There's a similar problem we had. Um, uh, there's another city on the East Coast uh, that uh, has a major sort of flooding problem every year. And um, the, 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 the intersection in front of their hospital was one of the first intersections to flood. And so they wanted to make sure that their ambulances had advanced notice as water was building up in that intersection so that they could distribute the ambulances in that, in that early part of the flooding happening. And you know, a simple sensor-based solution can enable that. Um, so, so IoT systems in cities uh, can deliver these these really sort of valuable public good benefits. I think 
um, uh, if if we can if if we can execute on them correctly. Right. I think conceptually, I, I don't think there's much of an argument against the value of IoT solutions within a city, but I do believe there comes a lot of difficulty um, depending on the makeup of the government um, and the um, the level of funding that they have available to actually implement these solutions. So, you know, if, if a government's maybe not familiar with it, I think it takes a lot, much more of a learning curve to get them to actually start these initiatives. And what I've seen in the past and when I'm talking to other people is that these government, you know, you might have an individual within a, within a government who is very tech savvy, who's kind of like an entrepreneur in some way. But, you know, once it kind of really gets up to the upper man, upper levels of the government, you know, getting approved for that funding to actually start, no matter how amazing the ROI may sound on paper, is rather difficult. Have you experienced anything similar to that in, in uh, any of your kind of experience in the past? Uh, well, absolutely, yes. Um, right, and and that that person at the top may just change by the time you get to them. So, mm -hmm. so all sorts of all sorts of complications happen. However, over the last few years, there's been a lot of interesting work, right? So there are interesting initiatives like. Um, you know, the, the initiative NIST is running uh, called the Global Cities Initiative mm -hmm. has tried to bring together city stakeholders from from the U.S. and all around the world. Um, uh, Sok Woo Ree, who runs that initiative uh, at NIST, what he's managed to do is get the senior leadership across major cities, especially here in the States, but also several cities around the world, um, meet twice a year. Mm -hmm. And discuss all of these projects, and and so um, uh, there's uh, and they're also involved in. I was involved in some of those initiatives as well. And uh, but basically, they're writing best practices. So, for example, this question of your devices should have um, secure identity and secure cryptographic keys is now written down in a best practices document that that every city um, uh, owner. Uh, you know, the, the person responsible for systems inside cities, they get to read, um, mm -hmm. whether it's the city CIO or the head of IT, et cetera. So, so there's, there's a lot of work that's happened over the last few years that's taking away a lot of the hurdles. You mentioned the funding hurdle. I think right. that's also going away in different ways, okay. um, especially funding-wise. There's, there's often an opportunity to offset costs with either savings in energy mm -hmm. or parking revenue or something else. And a lot of those models are being try, uh, tried out um, in interesting ways. I know city of Kansas um, and some other cities have been experimenting with something like that as well. So, so I feel like a lot of those hurdles are going away. And currently I believe the, 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 this, this, line, this complaint was okay for us IoT vendors to make a few years ago. I think now the burdens shift to us and we need to now execute on the technology better than we have done so far. Yeah, that's fair to say. Um, I, I, you know, I completely agree. I don't know if Mark has a different opinion, but for the most part, um, you know, it definitely has shifted more to the IoT vendors. But at the same time, I think, you know, as more of these cities, you know, take that risk to in, implement IoT solutions, other cities are going to see it, see the ROI actually be realized and it's going to kind of lower their barrier uh, or fear, I guess, to you know throw the budget at these projects and actually and start installing and, and having their city become a smart city. So I think you know all of that kind of kind of goes towards the same the same goal in the end. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the next question we have is: Let's jump forward twenty years in the future. Uh, your plane lands in the world's preeminent smart city. 
in your mind, what does that look like? <laughs> All right. That's interesting. Um, uh, ooh, that's a difficult one. Um, so, um, I grew up reading all sorts of science fiction. So I imagine all of those science fiction <laughs> scenarios coming true. Um, but <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll take a, um, uh, a somewhat pragmatic, um, uh, approach to that answer. Um, I feel like, and I, I earlier referred to this, this, this thought, but essentially I feel like, um, we are building towards a world as, uh, that, that's made up of lots of autonomous systems that basically groups of machines that are doing work for us, uh, whether it's helping us reduce traffic or helping us better manage traffic or just driving us around, um, or it is improving our, you know, reducing our waste, uh, reducing water pollution, air pollution, um, improving our utilization of electricity, power, et cetera. Like, so all of these systems are feasible and, and a lot of us in the IoT community have dreamt of all of them, right? We've, we've already thought of all the cool benefits that come out of building these systems, uh, but we're, we're lagging behind in execution. And so, um, you know, I, I think a lot of those, lot of those dreams uh, that we've all had um, can come together, but we as a community need to sort of, you know, take the opportunity now to work together and, and cut across all of those silos that currently exist um, and, 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 you know, pave a path to those dreams coming true. And what? And I realized that was a non-answer. <laughs> which, which of those dreams do you think are the, uh, I guess, the lowest hanging fruit that most people aren't realizing right now? Um, I, I think, you know, simple things, right? Like, it, it, you know, um, figuring out, uh, figuring out better, uh, traffic management is totally achievable. Figuring out like energy is, is a great one, right? Um, there are certain cities in the world where 70% of their expense, um, is just the bill for their streetlights, right? That's the biggest outgoing check the city CFO writes every month. And, 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 and reducing that is, is easy. It's feasible. We've already shown it in lots of proof of concepts, but we haven't executed that at a city scale anywhere in the world yet. Right. And so, so these kinds of sort of improve, improve utilization of resources, uh, better manage existing infrastructure. These kinds of systems are completely feasible today. Um, and, and our low hanging fruit, um, I feel. So our third question is how can the IOT community work together to improve or simplify device identity provisioning and management? <laughs> All right. Um, so, um, uh, there are a lot of interesting open standards being developed by lots of, um, lots of different parties. But the most interesting that I find um, is the work being done by the W3C's uh, uh, Web Credentials Group. Um, they, have, uh, they have developed a couple of standards that I think are incredibly exciting. One of them I mentioned earlier called Decentralized Identifiers. Um, another one is called Verifiable Claims. Um, and uh, 
both of these standards are based on work that happened in the web community over the last 20 years around this concept of linked data. And why I think this, this work is incredibly exciting um, is because so far, uh, we have never had an identity mechanism that had the properties DIDs have. So DIDs are globally unique. They're unlike UUIDs, which are just unique to your system, but you may have conflicts uh, when you're trying to integrate two systems and two things may share the same unique ID. Um, in, a, in a DID scenario, these, these IDs are unique across the world and they're resolvable uh, globally. So um, the Occam, a DID in the Occam system can be resolved by a DID in somebody else's system and vice versa. Um, and this is incredibly um, interesting. Another interesting property of DIDs is that they are backed by cryptographic keys. So public key cryptography is a first class citizen in the DID spec, and it very well lays out how you can manage the life cycle of cryptographic keys that back up an ID. So you can reason about revoking keys, you can reason about resetting keys, you, you basically get a decentralized public key infrastructure. And, and if anyone has tried to build a secure IoT solution so far, the way you do it is you, you basically set up a certificate authority and a root certificate chain inside your enterprise um, or inside your you know, system architecture. And then you have to carefully manage all of those keys, et cetera. Well, that problem can now be decentralized and de distributed across a blockchain infrastructure, which enables you to uh, put more trust in that, uh, that um, system and also enables us to better manage uh, cryptographic keys. But most importantly, it gives all the parties a shared way of reasoning about identity and keys. Um, so I think, I think that more and more people should look into that standard and should try to adopt it whether or not you come and adopt Occam's way of doing it doesn't matter, but let's let's rally behind that work. And then the other work that that is interesting, um, I feel, is uh, again the web, uh, um, uh, the semantic web or linked data community did a lot of work over the last twenty years around interoperability of data, um, and, and I feel like there's an opportunity to apply that to IoT and and break apart some of these silos that exist because of uh, shared IDs, but also because of uh, isolated data models. So I feel like that's a very interesting area. And then in general, I think we need to educate our, our customers um, around safe, secure ways to implement um, IoT. Uh, you know, like the, the very bare minimum should not be an optional thing, right? Uh, cryptographic keys are like the bare minimum in terms of IoT security that you need to do. Um, and if you're not doing that today, the data your device produces is not trustworthy. Uh, and the bigger problem that happens is that, that you expose your customers to attacks. You know, the Marai botnet attack happened because uh, hundreds of thousands of devices in the world had the same passwords. Um, just yesterday, I read a story where somebody showed that the uh, smart light bulbs from a certain company stored the Wi-Fi password to the network in plain text. And so when you threw away the bulb after it was done, it contained your Wi-Fi password. And that, that's not a good thing, right? So 
managing identity and credentials is, you know, there are bare minimums around cryptography that we need to enable our customers and our community to, to, yeah, absolutely. Um, so as a follow-up to that, this is, I guess, also, also in line with the last question that we had here. Um, it sounds like the deployment of Akam will require immense collaboration in an industry that has ton of, a, a ton of competition from big players, you know, like Google, Amazon, Microsoft, et cetera, who are developing what they hope will become basically the gold standard. Uh, what steps should startups like Akam or you know, systems integrators and other relevant players navigate this landscape to consolidate this industry behind a common standard? or common standards? Huh. Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I don't think that there is a lot of competition, right? So the reality of the IoT market is that there is so much greenfield, right? There is so much opportunity and so many different types of projects that can be implemented that I don't think uh, there is a there's a small pie that you know only the big players will get to get a get a piece out of. Um, I think the pie is just very very big, and and will remain that way for the next I don't know 10 15 years. Um, so um, so I think there's 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 an opportunity there's opportunity for everybody, uh, but what we can't happen what 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 we can't have happen is what has been going on over the last few years, right? Well, the last few years, because a lot of people are approaching the market with this competitive mindset, we're creating silos. Uh, so we create this silo of data that doesn't work with another silo of data, right? And, and so then what happens is that we pile up costs at the integration layer. So system integrators now have to do a lot more sort of complicated integration work. Um, I also feel like there's a lot of opportunity for system integrators to drive these adoption of standards and enable um, more higher value systems to be get to to be created. So, so if if we build these silos and if every vendor has their own little silo of data, uh, what happens is you end up spending too much time just integrating the two silos versus delivering a high value application, right? And so it takes too long to deliver that value, and that causes everybody to, you know, either either the city CIO changes and our project's not dead or, you know, um, or people run out of patience and then the, we're stuck in a POC or whatever. And all of this happens because we spend too much time delivering on the bare minimum, which is, you know, secure, robust, scalable, interoperable solution. And I feel like um, there's plenty of opportunity in the market. Let's all, let's all drive towards some, some common standards and let's create an opportunity um, and create a landscape that enables those big high-level autonomous systems where you know our you know autonomous cars pick up in the morning pick us up in the morning and you know the, the the world just magically working around us. Well, that vision is incredibly powerful. Except we're stuck in the granularity of that at like layer zero today, and we need to we need to wade through that. Um, so um, I actually don't think com competition is a problem in this market at all. Yeah, I as a as a bit of a follow up to that question, who do you think, or or what groups of people do you think will be um, the most supportive in implementing these these common standards? Uh, governments, it sounds like, are definitely a big player, but given the fact that a lot of the uh, the push for this industry is more so on the industrial end, which kind of um, lends itself to a lot of that siloing, how do we as uh, 
as IoT advocates mm-hmm. who who believe in the benefits of interoperability, uh, push for uh, for a world where these silos start uh, crumbling down. Right. Um, so um, the uh, it, it's, as you correctly pointed out, there's it's uh, the governments definitely want these silos to break. Right. It, it, they're not getting the value. I feel like all actual end customers, even if it's a big enterprise, um, they, they they're not looking to buy devices from one company. Right? They're looking to buy devices from 20 companies, and they want competition to exist. Um, same is true for system integrators. System integrators want to deliver the maximum value to their customer. Um, they don't want to get locked into one device vendor, because what if that device vendor stops you know, delivering in, uh, on their devices in five years? Right? How will they approach that problem? So um, I, f- I feel like Anybody who's on the buyer side of this equation, uh, whether it's a government or a large enterprise or a system integrator that's driving value to their customer by delivering a solution, um, all of these parties want these silos to break. Um, and, And a lot of work has been put into standards um, and, and, and attempts at breaking these silos, except I think you know, some fundamental things just didn't exist, right? There, there wasn't the, the, the whole blockchain thing's new and is definitely an enabler around breaking down identity silos. It's also potentially a break enabler to break down like trustworthiness uh, silo. Like, so example, if history of producing a device exists in system one and, his, and the history of installing a device exists in system two, well, how do I correlate that so that I get a holistic view of the life of the device and can then trust the data from the device? Um, that's, a, that's a problem a system integrator really cares about. But currently, uh, that's, that's a lot of work to implement. But with blockchain-like systems, we can work our way towards uh, that being really, really easy to implement. So, so coming back to your question, I feel like... Um, Anybody in this picture who has the interest of the customer in mind um, uh, should want to break these silos down because the reality is um, I, I, IoT is a multi-party ecosystem. Even the simplest deployment of an IoT device includes a vendor of the device, includes a vendor of the network, includes a vendor of the server, app, platform, whatever. So you know there, that itself is never a single party. So um, I feel like it's it's in all our interests to to break these silos. Absolutely. Down. Anything else there, Mark? Awesome. Well, we really appreciate this uh, this conversation. I think it was like, incredibly informative. I mean, I learned a lot. Um, I appreciate both of you, Mark, taking the time to, to to be on this episode as well. Renal, for you know, devoting your after. I guess it's a little earlier. It's right after lunch for you. Um, and coming on, talking about your experiences, talking about Occam, what you did at Fiber, um, and answering our questions. Um, we think this will be a great episode. So I really, really appreciate it. Um, what I would like to do, though, to end is um, see if there's anything else you want to say to leave the audience with and also kind of give um, a quick plug to where our audience can reach out and talk to you. We'll link all of that up in the description of the episode. But is like, is there a way for people that might have follow-up questions to this episode um, or about Occam to connect with you to um, to have a conversation? Yes, thank you. Thank you. For, first of all, thank you for having me. It was a great conversation, um, and thank you for the great questions. Um, uh, this, this was wonderful. Um, 
uh, what do I want to leave the audience with? Well, I feel like we all need to sort of have um, um, have more and more conversation. I, I feel like IoT for All is doing some doing a great job enabling a lot of that discussion. So thank you for that. Uh, come, you know, to the audience, come join and participate in the IoT for All not community. Uh, share your thoughts. Um, as for- <laughs> Yeah, no, he didn't. And but I feel like you know I'm getting a lot of value from IoT for all over the last um, year or so. So I I, I feel like everybody should participate. Um, uh, as far as Occam goes, uh, I am um, uh, we have a we have a, a open uh, GitHub. Uh, come look at issues, contribute pull requests if you're interested. Um, our code is open source over there. Uh, we also have an open Slack community where we're having a lot of these discussions. So come join us there. Um, and then, of course, um, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Mernal on Twitter. Um, and and uh, come say hi and talk about IoT. Awesome. Right? Well, I appreciate that. that. Um, yeah, we'll make sure all that information is in the description so everybody can find it without a problem. Um, appreciate the kind words about IFA. You know, we've been obviously working on this for a few years and the fact that, um, you know, we're able to see these relationships go from reader to contributor to podcast guest um, is something that we think is very special and we want to continue to do uh, with the launch of this podcast. So we appreciate you being on this episode. Um, and we hope to have you back on a future episode um, after we kind of, you know, get a few more people in here and start this, just, just get this um, really rolling. Um, so yeah, thanks so much. And um, you know, we'll, we'll have to, um, well, like I said, we'll have to have you on again sometime soon. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me and uh, good luck thank with the you. podcast. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Our ultimate goal is always to provide you with as much value in every piece of content that we create. So hopefully we're able to achieve that here today. If so, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on whichever platform you're listening to us on. It helps others find our content, which is great. If not, we would love to hear what your thoughts on ways we may be able to improve these episodes. Now, please remember that with these Ask IoT episodes, Our goal is to get your questions answered by the experts that come on to each one of these episodes. So if you ever have a question about anything to do with IoT or maybe for one of our guests specifically, just tweet us at IoT for all or use the hashtag Ask IoT and we'll be sure to see it. And hopefully your question will be featured on one of our episodes. Thanks again for listening.